Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season three of Relatively, the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. We want to say something again or differently or anything. It's going to be edited. I'm so unused to doing anything like this. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to the amazing sisters, Jean and Pat Outram. I think Jean's been very generous because I was really rather bossy. I could go and ask her if I was worried about something, if I didn't know how to cope. She would save me and get me out of trouble, whatever. Jean is the most important person in my life now. And vice versa. And in a new twist, I'll be delving a little further back with the help of our sponsors, Find My Past, the family history experts. Well, that does sound interesting, doesn't it, Jean? I don't think I did know that exactly, um, but we always, you know, thought they were a, a rather fascinating family to have. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Jean and Pat Outram are believed to be the only living sisters to have signed the Official Secrets Act. They both worked as codebreakers during World War II and neither knew about the other's role until peace had broken out. Pat is now 98 years old, nearly 99, and Jean, her little sister, is 96. Born in Lancashire, they spent most of their childhood at Newlands Hall, the family home, before heading off to school just before war broke out. I went to Pat's home, which is in West London now, for tea, biscuits and a wonderful conversation about helping to crack enigma, about having fun in war times, about flouting convention and about being each other's most important person. This episode of Relatively is especially precious, recording as it does, a little hesitantly at times, but with so much affection, a sisterly relationship which has lasted almost a hundred years. Jean began by talking about her role as little sister. Oh yes, I treated her with great respect, I hope. (laughs) But of course, occasionally I might try and make my own way, but usually I found it was much better to get her to help me over any problems I had. What was um, Jean like as a little sister, Pan? Well, Jean was much more adventurous, much braver than I was. Uh, she used to go off for walks by herself around the countryside. I think I was a bit bossy while she was quite young, uh, because she was two years younger. I suppose elder sisters are like that. But um, she was always the one I could talk to and we used to have sort of imaginative games called pretends when we had each of us a different character like Bonnie Prince Charlie or whoever and uh, so we, we spent a lot of time together in the garden or in the house if it was wet. She was a, a very nice companion to have 
and with just two years between us, wasn't that much difference. And when you were a lot younger, you didn't um, go to school. You had governesses and nannies, is that right? Can you remember any of that, Jean? Yes, well, in fact, our first governess, I think, had been my mother's governess, and we were perhaps brought up a little bit um, more old-fashioned than some of our contemporaries, but we did have to behave ourselves. <laughs> was she quite strict? Um, well, you knew if you were doing something wrong, shall we say. It was fairly clear that, no, that's not a good idea. And what sorts of things were you taught? What subjects? The governesses were usually rather good on history and English and not very good on maths and probably didn't know much science at all. So we had rather one-sided educations at home. But on the other hand, the house was full of books and we were allowed to read pretty well anything we liked, and we did. Mm. And you'd grown up, you were born in 1923, Pat, so you grew up having a real sense of living through history in a way. Your parents had been involved in World War One, and you knew very well about that as children. Do you think that's true? Yes, people were still talking a good deal about the war. All our uncles and, well, more or less everybody had been involved in it. And I think Jean and I were really worried most that there wouldn't be another great war like that in our lifetimes because we rather felt we'd missed the biggest event of the century and it was all going to be rather an anti-climax. That's funny because people listening might think that after the war there was just relief and that you'd never want it to happen again but you felt like it might have been quite an adventure. Yes, we felt, you know, it had been terribly important and dramatic so we were just going to be coasting along in peacetime. <laughs> so the 30s, you were a little bit older and you went away to school and things started happening, the clouds started gathering over Europe, really. Before we talk about the lead-up to the war, Jean, can you remember anything about boarding school? Well, I was due to go to boarding school, where Pat already had gone, in 1939, and I was very much worried that something would stop me going to this boarding school because the war had broken out. But in fact, we went right straight ahead. I felt somehow that I was with the rest of the world. Wasn't, I wasn't going to be left behind after all. <laughs> so you were worried that the war would start and you wouldn't get your chance to join Deputy Head Pat at boarding school? Yes, I was very worried about that. What does happen if the war doesn't start? <laughs> but it did. Yeah. And it's quite strange to think that war broke out in 1939 and yet normal things seem to still be going on, like going to boarding school and making friends and playing sports and all of those things. That seems strange to me now. I think it was rather strange that a good deal of normal life went on. It wasn't really quite normal for us because our father went back into the army, having been on the reserve. Our mother became an ARP warden, air raid precaution warden, and used to do spells of evening duty and so on. So even in the Lancashire countryside, things changed a bit, mm. but we did feel a bit on the sidelines, I think. Mm. 
And what was your relationship at school like? Because Pat was a few years older. She was the deputy head girl when you started. Were you friendly at school? Did you spend time together? Oh, yes, I think we were. I was a bit in awe, of course, because I was a junior at that stage and I'd never been to a boarding school before. I'd never been away from home. I got a bit homesick. I mean, Pat was very good at helping me through. And I had to be a little wary that people didn't think she was going to spoil me or anything like that. I think Jean's been very generous because I was really rather bossy and um, I do remember at school that... They didn't charge your parents for the first breakage. After that, they did. Jean managed somehow to pull over the curtain rail round a washstand and smash jugs and basins and everything else on it. Um, but she was calling out, first breakage, first breakage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to support her, but um, slight embarrassment. But uh, she was rather more enterprising than me, so... You know, I was sometimes a little nervous about uh, Jean's uh, activities, but, I, you know, I was very fond of her and liked having her there. Mm. Did it feel like a link with home when she was at school? I suppose it was, because I didn't enjoy school, to be honest. I didn't go to boarding school till I was 14, and I'd sort of grown up quite a lot. I used to preside at tea parties if my mother was out and that kind of thing. And then at boarding school you just went back to being a a pupil. I can't say I enjoyed it at all. When I read your book, there seems to be this great sense of, like you've just said a little bit, sort of wanting to get on with real life and grow up and have a purpose and get on with it. You both seem to have that. You wanted to go to school and then you wanted to do your bit in the war effort and and the same, Pat. Where do you think that enthusiasm for getting on with things comes from in your family? Well, I think both our parents were very good organisers and our father was in the Territorial Army. Um, Our mother was an ARP warden, but she also ran things in the village and so on. Mm. So I think we always had the feeling that you had a sort of responsible role Mm. in society and that uh, you would be expected to take things on and run things and Mm. not just sort of retreat into a private life. It seemed to be something that you should expect. Yeah. And when war broke out, you were on holiday in Scotland and your father cut the holiday short because he felt he needed to be back with his regiment, with his men. Can you tell me that story, please? Yes, well, although we were really enjoying our holiday in the west of Scotland, we used to go to a farmhouse, listen to radio programmes, and it was clear that uh, it was very likely there would be a war. So we had to quickly pack up everything into the caravan and uh, they drove back to Lancashire and he rejoined his regiment. What kind of man was your father, Jean? What was his character like? He was very responsible. You always had to do the right thing. You weren't going to be let off because you didn't want to do it or anything like that. He was surprisingly 
understanding, I think, for children. That he could see when you were having problems or you were a bit worried about something. You felt you could talk to him about difficulties. He encouraged us very much, I would say, mm. and uh, to have a go at things. And, mm. and so did our mother. And having a go at things is a very... Uh, tame way of describing what you girls did go on to do when you became young women. So after leaving school, where you were deputy head girl, you were sort of frantic to try and find purpose in a role, Pat. Well, after school, I was too young to go into the services, and I did a secretarial training, had a secretarial job for a few months at a London literary agency. Oh. <laughs> which was interesting because you met authors and mm. interesting people. Mm. But um, when I was 18, and I also had a few health problems because in those days children got uh, tubercular glands from fresh cow's milk because it wasn't TT tested. As our grandfather had a herd of pedigree shorthorn cows and all our milk came straight from the farm, uh, sure enough I got this tubercular gland problem. Mm. So I wasn't sure I would be able to get into the women's services, but we had an Austrian refugee cook, and I spent a lot of time talking to her. So I had fluent conversational German when I applied to the Wrens. Very helpful. And it was very helpful <laughs> yeah. because uh, I think they were looking for 18-year-old girls who knew German, and that outweighed any effects of the cow's milk. And so I was uh, duly called up to the Wrens and did the general training, and then a, a special training in intercepting German radio communications. So meanwhile, Jean is still at school when you're 19, and you must have been, were you jealous that she was off joining the war effort? Were you desperate to join her? <laughs> yes, I was very worried that I should miss out on all this. But to my relief, I got into the, the army before the war came to an end. And I did actually go overseas and I was working in North Africa. and So I didn't miss all the things which I've been afraid of doing. It was the fannies you were in, wasn't it? Yes, I joined the fannies. And... Um, I found that fascinating and I enjoyed very much being away from home, being independent, having a, something to be responsible for. Mm. And the letter inviting you to join, I think, came on your 18th birthday, is that? Such a relief. <laughs> much better than any birthday present or anything else. So both of you, you're encouraged by your dad and given opportunities to be educated at home and then educated at school. But you must be naturally both pretty bright as well. You picked up German just by talking to somebody in the kitchen and you both have kind of figured out interesting career paths. Do you see yourselves as brainy? I don't think I feel especially brainy. Do um, you? <laughs> I think I find learning languages easy. Um, we had a... I think she was bilingual grandmother because she was a Channel Islander they speak a lot of French. I think I had the idea that you could learn other languages quite easily, mm. which indeed came in useful. You know, I'm reasonably 
bright because I got a good degree after the war. Mm. But I think the family talked a lot, and I think perhaps that's a good thing for children, that and Jean and I chatted away like anything. And it wasn't a, a childhood where you were seen and not heard. It sounds like it was a childhood where you were treated quite like little grown-ups, really, like taken into account. In those days, ladies did calls on each other, and my mother used to take me with her to call on other households. And uh, so I did hear a lot of grown-up talk. I must say the highlight was if the hostess said, would you like to see round the house? And I would be up like a shot, you know, and particularly if she let you go into her walk-in wardrobe and see all her dresses. I think I was um, looking forward to being grown up rather than just enjoying my childhood, really. Oh, I was terrified that everything would finish before I got grown up enough to take part. This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. In 1921, England and Wales were reeling from the Great War, and it shows in the census entries of surviving soldiers. Retired Army officer Harold Samuel Alpen apologised for typing his form, explaining that he lost half his right hand in the late war and cannot write properly. Another former serviceman simply wrote, ruined by war, in the section for occupation. How much do you know about your parents' and grandparents' lives in peacetime? Find out in the 1921 census, exclusively available online at findmypast.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Both of you went into the war doing different things, but you both had to sign the Official Secrets Act, so you couldn't tell each other about all your exciting adventures while you were having them, which is the most extraordinary part of your story in some ways. Do you remember writing to Pat during the war, Jean, and and what could you tell her about what you were doing? You wrote lots of letters, very good letters from North Africa and Italy. Oh, yes, I suppose I just so much wanted to tell Pat what I was doing and share it with her because it was a grown-up world I was living in we'd never have known about otherwise but of course we did have to keep this official secrets act that we couldn't tell each other everything that was going on and you really enjoyed traveling didn't you oh it was the dream of my life to get out of a country go and explore I was in North Africa I had a very exciting and interesting war (laughs) I thought would you say you had an interesting and exciting war too Pat 
Well, I did. I mean, it wasn't as exciting from the travel point of view because uh, we could listen to German radio wavelengths, the German Navy's uh, system of communicating, uh, from around the coast of England. So there was no point in my going abroad, but I would certainly say it was interesting because you worked uh, watches, which were shifts in the listening stations that the Navy had set up along the coast. You searched up and down the German fleet's wavelengths and you might come on nothing all night or you might happen onto a usually a carrier wave. So there was this sort of warm-up sound and you knew this would be a, a radio transmitter. It could be very tense and uh, all you could do to keep up with the traffic that was going on. And, of course, you couldn't say a word about what you did to your family or friends or anybody. And, in fact, the war seems, when I read your book, you're a very close family, so you grew up in Newlands together till you were teenagers. And then your father goes, and actually he ends up a prisoner of war in Japan. You don't know where he is for a long time. You girls are separate. You're on the coast of England and you're in Italy and North Africa and your mum's still at home in Lancashire. All of a sudden your family is scattered and you can't even find out what the other people are doing. So what were you imagining your sister was doing while you were twiddling the dials to try and intercept German U-boats? What did you think Jean was up to? You know, I made a sort of educated guess that it was working with our communications, mm. not the Germans, but I didn't know because Jean knew some German too, so mm. might have been might have been Italian for all I knew. <laughs> and and did you miss each other, Jean, during the war? Oh, as long as to tell her about the things I was doing and of course I couldn't do anything like that. I have a feeling we did manage a few um suggestions which might be interpreted or something like that. You know, I think I was able to tell you when I went overseas, was I? I certainly I knew about you going overseas, but I, I didn't know exactly what you did. No. It was years after the war when I said, by the way, Jean, what were you actually doing in Italy in the war? So you knew and I was you there. you told me. I don't think I knew before. Yes, you probably knew that I'd gone overseas. Oh, yes. In the letters that are published in your book, the things you could share freely with each other still have that sense of some normal life going on. So there's still men who are interested in you and there's still parties and clubs to go to and running away from King Farouk in Egypt. <laughs> you know, there's fun and there's life and friendship. Yes, I can remember that we had to have civilian clothes, which wasn't something I expected another made sure that I had proper clothes to go to parties and things like that, which seemed to be a rather strange thing to do in a war. But um, as we went out in the ship, we changed in the evenings and put on civilian clothes and that sort of thing. It was essential. And then we went to Italy and we were going to parties there as well. There was interest from various gentlemen as well. And in some of the letters you were telling each other, oh, you know... I've been out with this chap, but he's not, you know... Yes, I didn't want to get tied down by somebody else or anything like that. 
so I was pretty prim about relationships with men. But on the other hand, I was all in favour of them taking me out for meals and uh, going exploring. But I did find that there were quite often older men who didn't want to have a different sort of relationship, but who were interested, as I was, in, in the country we were going to and what they did there and all the rest of it. So that was OK. There was always a social side to life. You know, there might be an army unit and the seaside places where we were stationed or we knew some of the naval officers in ships and if they came into harbour we could uh, probably visit the ship and so on. And we did organise dances because I remember I had my 21st birthday at um, a station called Abbot's Cliff, now Dover. I wasn't sure I would be able to have a party because it was uh, the month of D-Day. However, um, we did have one. I think we had a dance at the station. We certainly invited our friends in the services. and uh, So, you know, social life was rather good, actually. Mm. And any romance for you, or were you like Jean and not really wanting to get tied down? Well, I did have a regular friend in the army, and he went over after the D-Day landings and went across Europe. But I think we both felt we didn't want to get tied down. I was just 21, and I suppose he was not much older. So, although we kept in touch, I didn't expect that he would sort of stop seeing other girls and he didn't think, I suppose, that I would stop having a social life. Where do you think the independent streak in you two as young women came from? Because a lot of girls and young women around you were getting engaged, falling in love, going gooey-eyed over the local young pilots, and you two, not so much. Well, I think I wanted to travel. The most exciting thing in my life was to go into Europe and see other countries. I was much more interested in the country mm. than in the boyfriends, quite honestly. I wanted to have a career of my own after the war, and I thought if I got tied down and became a wife and mother, it would be rather limiting. I also thought if there was a chance for a university grant, I would like to take a degree no woman in the family ever had. So, you know, I was very keen on remaining independent, really. And for women of your generation, with some education, or even those with less education, the war, tragic and awful though it was for so many people, was actually a huge opportunity for women. Because once you'd been this independent travelling career woman during the war, it was very hard to be stuffed back into a domestic role, wasn't it? So in a way, it was a golden ticket. It, it was exactly that, because, um, you know, you had opportunities you would never have had normally. We would have probably done a secretarial course, married a suitable young man and settled down in the country. Whereas, um, well, I got out of the Rens to go to Norway because the embassies were being opened up and Uncle Lawrence, who was the ambassador, needed staff for the Oslo embassy. So never having been abroad at all, rather envying Jean for her mm -hmm. travels, um, I did get a chance uh, actually to go abroad and seized it. Mm. 
And and Jean, you weren't interested either in settling down and just being a wife and mother. You were keen to take all of the opportunities, weren't you? Yes, I do remember hearing that Fitzroy Maclean, who was a near neighbour but was a traveller and did all sorts of interesting things, was going back to Europe. And I picked up the telephone and said, when are you going? And he said, Tuesday or whatever. And I said, right, what time? <laughs> and see you on the platform at Lancaster Station. And we'll go. And you did. And I did. And you've been very gung-ho. Like, you were involved in setting up University of Lancaster, that's right, the careers department there. You quite like a challenge, don't you? <laughs> I do, but I also like to protect people from being driven into doing things they don't want to do. <laughs> so I spent quite a lot of my time interviewing students who were getting terribly bored or frightened or something like that and saying, look what I did. You just go on and find the thing that you want to do and do it. And I found they were so relieved because they thought they had to do the right things. You don't. So you were giving young people permission to do what they wanted? Yes. Very important to find out what's available. I think that's amazing because even now, I think that almost seems revolutionary as an idea to do exactly what you want. And you were doing it a long time ago. Well, yes, it didn't occur to me that you shouldn't be doing what you want to do. And they were rather surprising. They very often did what I suggested. <laughs> Is it that that you admire about your sister? Because she seems to be incredibly brave, Pat. Yes, I mean, Jean was always very independent. She was definitely braver than me. And she was a bit of a loner when she was a child. She would go off for quite long walks around the countryside. And whereas I might be going on calls with my mother or something... Jean would be doing something much more independent. So I, I admired her sort of strength of character. At times, of course, she was an unruly younger sister and I was probably rather bossy. We were very different. I was conventional and uh, abided by the rules and so on, rather, uh, whereas I could see Jean was doing something quite different. What do you admire about your sister? Well... For one thing, she was an adult. I felt she was much more uh, grown-up than I was, which, of course, is probably true. Uh, she could deal with visitors coming to the house if our mother wasn't available or something like that, whereas I'd probably disappear into the shrubbery. <laughs> but um, I felt it was absolutely invaluable to have Pat. I could go and ask her if I was worried about something, if I didn't know how to cope, if I was bit scared or anything like that, I would go to Pat and she would save me and get me out of trouble, whatever. Do you think that's still true? I expect so, though I don't think we get into quite so much trouble as we did when we were teenagers. So after the war, you both did marry eventually, late-ish. Did your relationship change once you found people to marry or did it sort of stay the same? I wouldn't say it changed at all. We did, as it happened, get married the same year. Oh, really? You know, it was very late in my case, fairly late in Jean's case. I didn't want to have children because I was enjoying my career in television production and uh, would have found children a bit of an encumbrance in a way. 
later on I was rather sorry because there was a time I could have perhaps had a family all I was over 40 but um, we always kept in touch and didn't make any difference when we got married we still did well I suppose it, it did change because um, I was traveling around abroad with a husband didn't have children he had been married before and so I had stepchildren to look after because <clears throat> our mother had gone and you always stayed in touch by writing, and you still write to each other. Well, our mother was a great letter writer, and we were very much brought up to write to each other. And Jean and I have been writing letters to each other all our lives. And I don't think we use emails, do we? We, we write proper letters. Yes. You're, you're a very funny letter writer, very observant. Well, if you've got something that's amusing you, you want to tell somebody else, and your sister's the obvious person uh, you can talk to because, you know, they won't... They will let on about you. <laughs> you can tell... I can tell Pat anything that I think is interesting or fun or... Mm. I look forward to your letters because you give very vivid accounts of things. And I think I know that Pat will be interested so that I can tell her things which might not interest anybody else, but she'll know why I'm writing this one to her. So I think we have a pretty close relationship. Mm. You know, we've actually been more in touch with each other than most sisters, I think, mm. at our age. Do you know any other sisters your age? I don't. Don't know that I know I any other at my I age. Do, no. Well, no. we're getting on. <laughs> so yes. we're, well, I think I've probably oh. gone by now. We've got cousins who are sisters, but we don't see a lot of them. What does it mean to you to have somebody who's shared your whole life in the way that you two have shared each other's whole lives? It's, it's tremendously important, really. I think Gina's the only one who uh, I've known all my life because we had a younger brother, but he went abroad and he died. Um... And, um, you know, we, we had a very long childhood together, even after we sort of separated to some extent. I knew I'd always got Pat. If I really was having problems or I was unhappy, I could go to her and did. Mm -hmm. So the important thing was that we would talk to each other and could say anything. Mm -hmm. If I was really upset about something, it'd be Pat I talked to. And still... Oh, I think so. Although we don't seem to have as many problems as we get older. No, I think we've solved a lot of the problems. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh no, I think Jean is the most important person in my life now. And vice versa. And, uh, yes. you know, we had happy marriages, but in both cases that sadly ended. Um, but Jean was there all through and still is. And my final question, what would you say to younger sisters who are not as old as you and what would you say to them about looking after their relationship or how to think about their sisterly relationship? <laughs> well, um, I think I'd say that you're, you're very lucky if you have a sister or brother that you feel you can talk to about anything. Um, we have never had a quarrel that I can think of. Keeping this happy relationship 
all your life you're very lucky and life would have been very much more lonely and different without Jean. You know, Jean is the person I most look forward to being with. And thank goodness we do have quite a bit of time together each year. But it's very important to have somebody you can say anything to. Mm. Uh, you might not want to tell anybody else how you're feeling or something like that, but I could ring Pat up and say, look, I'm upset about this or I'm worried or frightened or something, which I would never say to somebody else. Pat is my other half. The sponsors of this season of Relatively, findmypast.co.uk, had a complete field day with the Outram family tree, as you can imagine. It turned out that the sisters are descended from the first Baron Sumarez from the Channel Islands. I linked up with them a little bit after our tea date in Chiswick to tell them more about him. Hello, Catherine. We can hear you now. And this is Jean. I can hear he was awarded the Knight Grand Cross of the Order of Bath, Commander Grand Cross of the Order of the Sword of Sweden and the Freedom of the City of London. All of those awards. Good heavens. Well, that should be good for a few free holidays for us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've never thought of going to the Channel Islands and following it up, but I rather wish I'd done it now. It's a bit late. <laughs> What's really wonderful is the researchers at um, Find My Past have managed to find um, a picture by Edward Harding um, from 1801 during the Second Battle of Algeciras, I think it is, as he's getting ready to pursue the combined squadron of France and Spain. Well, that sounds really interesting. I think um, we probably could read up a bit more about what the Somaris family were doing in the Napoleonic Wars. It's a, Yeah, you must. It's a very beautiful picture. It's got James Samuel standing with a beautifully elegant woman with an empire line dress, and they're in the port with all these people carrying barrels and things, and then there's this fleet of huge, beautiful boats with the Union Jack on in front of them in the water. Well, we'd love to see that. Thank you so much. But I would love to have a chance to see this if somebody could find me and put us together on the computer. Well, that does sound interesting, doesn't it, Jean? Of course, we did connect her and Pat with a computer and they've since looked at all the certificates, articles, paintings, pictures and more harvested from findmypast.com. A special thank you to Philippa from OG Podcasts for going along and recording their end of that little conversation about their amazing family history. Thank you so much to Pat and Jean and also to Simon for helping to make this episode happen. If you want to read their story, they co-authored a book called Co-Breaking Sisters, Our Secret War, and it's full of all the letters that we talked about. It's a really, really good read. Yes, Jean was sometimes known as Jinx when she was a child. <laughs> Jinx. Uh, and I sometimes call her Jane rather than Jean, just for variety. <laughs> I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors for this season of Relatively, Find My Past, for digging into their extraordinary records and uncovering the surprising and often revelatory family stories, some of which you've heard today. Find My Past is the only place online where you can access the 1921 census. So if you want to start your family tree or add colour to what you know already, then findmypast.co.uk is the place to do it. 
You can see lots of brilliant pictures of Pat and Jean in their wartime days, relativelypodcast.com, where you can find all of our back catalogue as well. On Relatively Next Week, Leroy Logan, MBE, former police superintendent and founding member of the Black Police Association, whose story of his life, Closing Ranks, My Life as a Cop, was made into a film, and Logan was played by John Boyega. He joins me with his sister, Hyacinth, who works as a nurse. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Stand by the fireside, another rain may fall. Your father's calling you, you still feel safe inside. Only your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you, you still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, it's didn't do Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 